Uh, we have a super exciting weekend ahead of us. Uh, uh, not completely unusual, but I, I love this particular weekend when it circles around because it is the weekend where we celebrate baptisms again. And we are going to watch over the different gatherings, uh, over 23 people, not over, 23 people in fact, men, women, children, students, being baptized, stepping into baptism, publicly declaring to you their church that they know and love Jesus and intend to follow Him the rest of their lives. Now, uh, the problem with baptism is because it can be just a sort of a regular ongoing part of church life, or a ritual if you will, uh, it is easy to miss the beauty and power of what we are going to experience together as a church this weekend. It would be easy just to go through the motions, check a box and say baptism's great, more people are following Jesus. But what's actually happening, what makes this weekend so exciting, is what baptisms represent for each one of those people. See, baptism is the outward expression of some incredible inward realities that have taken place. When somebody steps into baptism to declare to you publicly that they know and follow Jesus, here's what they're saying. They're saying that I have had an authentic experience of God. I have had an authentic gospel encounter, and so I now know the story of God, I know what He's done, I know Him, and that has changed me. They are also declaring that they, in that transformation, are now in a place where they are captivated by the story of God and by who He is and by what He's done for them. They are captivated by Jesus, so they are declaring that to you as well. And they are declaring to you that after a gospel encounter and being captivated by Christ, they have a gospel clarity in that they have been equipped to understand that knowing Jesus, knowing that your soul is rescued, knowing that your future is redeemed is just part of the great gospel story. It includes the fact that your purpose has been restored and you get to live on mission for the kingdom of God now, expanding the kingdom and bringing glory to the name of Christ. See, the people stepping into our space here to declare to you their obedience of baptism, they know all that stuff. How do I know that? Because we're guessing? We're hoping? No, 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 no. Because everyone stepping into baptism here has walked through a spiritual journey here in biblical community. We have checked in with them. We have journeyed with them. We have confirmed these realities in them. We have watched carefully so that if these realities are not real as far as we can perceive, that we can disciple them in an ongoing manner until they are real. So that when someone steps in here, it is everything but ritualistic. It is, in fact, a declaration of this extraordinary reality. See, the reality is that when we step into baptism as a church here, it is the direct fruit of one of the core focuses that we have made our own here at Mosaic Church. One of the core things that we've said, this is what we do, baptism is the fruit of that core reality. 
You guys, if you were here the last two weeks, have heard us unpack the vision for the next 24 months, the next two years. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to go and podcast that. In that vision, we told you that when we, the elders, went to God and said, what do you want us to do for the next two years? God said, do the same thing you've been doing for the last 13. Keep it simple, do it, it's good. Here's what it was, very simple. Equip the saints to do the work of the gospel. Do that and keep doing that. Make sure that they have authentic gospel encounters regularly so that if they don't know Jesus, they will come to know Jesus. And if they do know Jesus, they won't forget Jesus, right? So regular gospel encounters. And then make sure they're in environments where they can be inspired, equipped in devotion for Jesus and mission for the kingdom of God. And then uh, God said, make sure that when you have these equipped saints, that they're actually going out and impacting the world, right? We actually want us equipped to carry the beauty of the gospel, the redemptive story, the light, life, and freedom that Christ has affected for us that we are recipients of, and we want to carry that into our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, our social networks, our local community, and the entire world, our global community. And so make sure that you are reminding them that that's why you're equipping them, to actually live on mission in a dark, difficult world that needs redeeming. And then reproduce that story, so train up your people so that as people come to know Jesus through authentic gospel encounters and learn to live on mission, that they're actually being discipled to live on mission. So that is the reproduction story. Grow the story. Continue to reproduce it. And he said, go do those things. So we came to you and said, that's what we're going to do. If you noticed when you were here, if you listened to that, the largest item of those three that we push resources and expense and time and energy to is the equipping of the saints. So of all those three items, the item that the bulk of the financial resources and energy goes to is equipping the saints. Kind of seems odd, doesn't it? Because you would think, why don't you spend the bulk of the money on impacting the world? Get more children into homes, get fresh water to more places, be involved with more social justice, carry the gospel to more places in the world. Use the money to do that. Dig another well. And, and here's what we've discovered. The reason that we spend the bulk of our resources on equipping the saints to do the work of the gospel is because the organization that is the church was never meant to be the change agent in the world to bring change because it will be limited. We can only do so much. The real power in the church is when we, the organism called the church, us, we are living, equipped, and on mission for the kingdom of God. That's when real life change begins to expand locally and globally. So if we spend the bulk of our resources on making you and I ready to live our lives on mission, then we will see actual world change take place far more dramatically and extensively than if we literally spent every dime we had on world change. So if we actually want to change the world, our best bet is to equip you and I to actually go do it. And then we have an army of equipped saints to go and impact world change. If you want to change the world, equip the saints to change the world. 
So we take that dead seriously around here. That is a core reality for us. And it's not just among the adults, mind you. Yeah, we sure do equip the adults. We work hard to equip you all to be inspired, to live on mission, and then to be ready to do it. We have gathering spaces like these. We invite you into these gathering spaces where we get to celebrate the kingdom of God and all that he's doing, and through his word, you are inspired to walk back out there and live your lives on mission for the kingdom because you've been reminded of your gospel encounter and how extraordinarily free you now are, right? So we do that on a regular basis. Even though we have to squeeze you into spaces and put seats two inches from the front, and I have to look down at you, so sorry folks, love you guys, um, and, and we have to squeeze into these little rows, uh, we want to make sure we're regularly facilitating gathering spaces where we can do that. And then we we invite you, we challenge you, we practically beg you to get into missional communities. Not that missional communities are perfect every time, not that they fulfill every purpose, but they are the best space for you to integrate with a small piece of biblical community, to know one another, and to spur one another on and stir one another up toward devotion to Jesus and mission for the kingdom, toward love and good deeds. That's what we want to do. So we're doing that on a regular basis. But more than that, we are also doing that with our students and our children. We don't babysit those guys. We are equipping them. On a Wednesday night, we have a student ministries gathering that happens here. Hundreds of middle school and high school students come here every Wednesday night. They gather here like you adults, and they spend their time being inspired by the Word of God, challenged by authentic gospel encounters, challenged to live on mission for the kingdom in their spaces. Then they break into small groups, and they fill this church up. On a Wednesday night, if you come here, you can walk into any utility closet, any broom closet, any office space, any patio table, and there will be kids in those spaces because we squeeze them into every space we have because we don't have enough. And so they sit around and they dig into life with one another because we want our students to be equipped for mission now. They are the next generation, but they are not only the next generation, they are also the now generation. They're actually alive, folks. They're actually breathing. They actually go out into the world like you and I. They are on school campuses. They are in social networks, and they need to live on mission now. We are not preparing them for a future reality, though that's part of what we're doing. We are equipping them for a now reality. And frankly, their schools are often more hostile than your workplaces, so they better be ready, right? So we pour into our students, and we equip them the same way we do you. And our children are no exception to that. Our children are equipped the same way because we do not believe our children are simply the next generation. They are also the now generation, and they need to be ready for their lives now. So whether they are three or five or seven or nine or 11, they need to be on mission. They need to have gospel encounters. They need to know their love. So during this gathering space that we're here, we have children's church going on all throughout the rest of the building. 
Guess what they do? They have a gathering space where they are inspired by the word of God, challenged to live on mission in their own lives. Then they break into small groups. Go find any utility closet, broom closet, or office in this, well maybe not the utility closet because they're younger, we we don't want to scare you parents. Is my kid in a utility closet somewhere? I'm out of here! So we're trying to make sure we find space for them. But, th- but what we want to do with our children is equip them to think missionally as they encounter the gospel regularly here. Even our infants, we do not train our staff uh, and our volunteers to simply babysit your infants. We don't tell them, get goldfish, give it to them, keep them happy so they don't cry, so we don't have to call parents out of the big service because we're trying to do special stuff with the parents. We say no. Every time you look at them, you hug them, you love them, you whisper to them that Jesus loves them, that they're awesome, that they're special, that they were made for a purpose, so that when they grow up, they have no memory of anything but God loves me, he made me for something, and I'm gonna go do it. And that's what we wanna do. So, we work on that. You can imagine for us now, you can begin to imagine at least, why when we tell you that we have to turn families away every 902, every 1117 from checking their kids into our kids' church, why it grieves us so much. We are not saying it's grievous because the poor parents are stuck with their kids. It's grievous to us because the kids are missing out on an authentic gospel experience and being challenged to live on mission in a context that will make sense to them and we can't do that for them simply because facilities are not big enough. That is horrid to us. That's why we are so excited about moving into spaces where we can do what we need to do for our kids so that they can grow up knowing this stuff and never having to wonder. It is a huge priority for us that we are investing ourselves into our children, our students, our adults to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry through authentic gospel encounters that are facilitated here and a space where they can grow and learn gospel clarity and know the fullness of the gospel. Your soul is rescued, wow, that's awesome. Your future redeemed, wow, that's awesome. Your created purpose restored, live on mission. That's awesome. So, the equipping of the saints will always be, has always been, the backbone of the ministry here at Mosaic Church. It's what we spend the majority of our energy on because it is you who will actually change the world when you are well equipped. It is me who will actually change the world when I am well equipped, and that's what we know. But I wanna tell you this, the reality of investing so heavily into equipping the saints and creating the spaces and, the, and the, the room for that to happen is not simply a consequence of discovering that it's a biblical model, that it makes sense and it's what Jesus said we ought to do. Certainly that's true. Jesus told Paul in Ephesians chapter four, I'm giving the church its leadership, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to what? equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we know it's biblical, we know it's how it works, but that is not the only reason that we do it. It also has a deeply personal implication to me. 
I have experienced this as a husband and a father and a man in this biblical community so personally and so deeply that when I think about making this a priority, it is not simply because the Bible says so. It's because I have seen it play out in such extraordinary ways in my own personal life that I know it is the only thing that we need to make sure we're doing uh, as a focus is getting you ready to impact the world and to reproduce the story. That's the answer to the question. Brooke and I, my wife, when we were first invited by God to participate in the story of Mosaic by starting this church. And I say that very, very clearly. We recognize our part in the story here is no more significant than anyone else's part. Our part happened to be that we got to start this thing. It was God's to begin with, it's God's bride and God's church, and we just happened to have the privilege of being part of the team that started it. We happened to function in this privilege of being in the pastoral position in this church. But if any one of you who play a role in volunteering, caring, being part of this ministry, living out on mission, stops doing that, it has dramatic impact on the whole, right? Think about it. When your body is functioning perfectly, but you got a toothache that's significant, kind of derails the whole deal, doesn't it? Doesn't matter that the brain's more important than the tooth, right? Because suddenly the brain's not. Suddenly that tooth not hurting is the most important thing in the entire world because the brain can't function if the tooth is hurting. And so the same here, Brooke and I were invited to play our little part in the story and part of that was to start this church. We came to West Orlando. I had a five-week-old and a three-year-old at the time, two kids. How we got to eight, I am still trying to figure out over the last 13 years. We can talk later about that. But what I know is when we got started with this church, we showed up here and what was on our hearts that God had stirred in us was simple. What would it look like to start doing biblical community with a group of people that simply started asking the question, what can we do today in word and deed to demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people. Born out of the commandment that Christ gave that if you wanna know what to do on the planet, folks, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said those two commands hold everything else in place. All the prophets, all the law hangs on those two. So we demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people. And what would it look like if we took that band of people and we began to equip one another through authentic gospel encounters, having authentic experiences of God, and through a missional worldview to actually dare to go and do some stuff? That might be hard, but that might change the world. And so we started there. It spilled out from there into the swimming pool in our neighborhood. We met a few people, said, we're doing church, you wanna come. They came, they bought into this idea of daring to press into a missional life because of the gospel encounters we've had. And they started living on mission in their local uh, social networks, workplaces, and neighborhoods. That brought together a band of people, 30, 40 people that started gathering together and we saw this stirring in them. When we stepped into this facility when it was half the size it is now, just a few years ago, there were about 60 of us starting to figure out what it meant to love each other and live on mission. And we started doing life together. 
Out of those early years, we started seeing people encounter the gospel and dare to begin to live on mission. And so they would say, hey, I'm ready to step into being baptized. And there was this outward expression of an inward transformation. So we saw baptisms beginning to be born in our story. And then those baptisms started filling out and creating more disciples of Jesus. More and more of you started showing up and more and more of us started living on mission. And suddenly hundreds of children were in safe homes. They were adopted. They were being fostered. Suddenly widows were being cared for. Suddenly there was fresh water in cities that never had it. Suddenly there were surgeries being done in places that they didn't have doctors. Suddenly we were in 17 different global partnerships over 15 countries doing work around the globe. Suddenly the world in our local community started shaping and changing and that was exciting. We just happened to decide this week, well, it happened to decide, we decided this week to just kind of look back over the last decade just to ask the question, how many people have actually stepped publicly into a declaration through baptism to say to all of you, I know and follow Jesus, and I intend to make sure I follow him the rest of my life. So we found out that over 400 people in the last decade have been baptized here at Mosaic Church through this incredible story. That means 400 of you are sitting around and have expressed this reality. And out of that, that is what is affecting this fresh movement of the gospel. It is incredibly exciting to watch. Then, how did that begin to have a personal impact on me? Brooke and I, being part of this very biblical community I'm describing, started getting stirred up and spurred on to ask questions about bigger mission and bigger dares into places that need us to step in. And so we did. Well, we, we discovered a, our beautiful daughter in Ethiopia that God had invited us into her life and her into ours, and we knew we were going to step into adoption. We already had four biological children by that time, so it was not like a no-brainer. It was an invitation going, are you not afraid? I'm afraid. Good. Fearless living is good for you. And so we stepped in. Turned out God was at work. What I would say now is tricking us, but I'm sure he has a different vocabulary that he uses, Right? Jeremiah agreed with me. He felt tricked too, but it turned out really well. So um, turned out that there was not one beautiful child that was made for our family and we were made for. There were four because there were siblings. And so we ended up adopting into our home three and a half years ago four beautiful children that are ours and we are theirs. Awesome story. The year after that adoption, through that year, my sermons started changing. The titles changed from regular titles to titles like The Darkness Rises. That was a title. Go podcast it. It's real. There were titles like Welcome to the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It never ends. No, I, I didn't actually have that on the end of it. There were some hard, hard, hard years for all 10 of us. That beautiful adoption turned out to kill 10 human beings and their souls as they lived in a house together. And so there we lived. I remember when Brooke and I went to Colorado the very first time for our soul care retreat with some pastors, and we were sitting there, and we're introducing ourselves in the room. Nobody knows us. We get to Brooke, and she describes the story. This was about a year and a half into the adoption, and she's crying through the whole thing, and, and it, you can hear in her story, her soul is dead, right? And so everyone's looking with sort of big eyes, and they get to me, the eternal optimist, and I say, I know my wife's soul is dead. 
In fact, my whole family's souls are dead, but here's what I know to be true and I'm counting on, that Jesus came to this planet He crawled into a human body living in an uncomfortable space. For the 33 years he was here, he sweat, he was tired, he struggled, he was limited, he voluntarily set aside his divine attributes, and then he gave himself voluntarily to an extraordinary death that was the worst us human beings have yet to conceive of. He died on a cross, and we thought the story was over with the death of Jesus, our only hope. But it wasn't over. He resurrected from the dead, rescuing the entire stinking human story. And that was awesome, redeeming the world, right? And then Jesus said to us, this is what it means to follow me now. You get to go into that same dark world, find the dead stories, Take up a cross to bear for them so they can be redeemed. And you might die on that cross, but when you do, I will resurrect you and the story. Now, it hadn't happened in Colorado yet. I just said it as a future fact. And I remember, I now know the couple that was leading that soul care retreat, and he will still tell me now, when you said that to me in that room, I thought to myself, this guy's crazy. He just killed his wife and his kids in their spirit, and he thinks it's a good idea. That is not a good idea. That was not a version of poverty theology, thinking that we must go and suffer in order to be spiritual and demonstrate our love for God. It was a biblical reality that said we get invited into the story of redemption by taking on hard stuff on behalf of Christ, and if we die doing it, He resurrects stories, including us. And so I lived with that premise through those years. I'll tell you what happens when you live under that premise, but you are part of a biblical community that regularly facilitates gospel encounters so that in the times of death on mission, you don't forget your soul rescue and your future redemption and continues to encourage missional life. This is what happens when you live in a community like that. This weekend, among the 23 people being baptized at all the different gatherings, at the 502 this afternoon, four of my children, three adopted, one biological, are going to step into an active public declaration of their faith and say, we know Jesus, we follow Him, we're captivated by Him, and we're going to go change the world because we're part of the story. That is an incredible fruit to see over two and a half years of journey with them. Now, what I want you to hear is not just that theory. I want you to hear that story. And when you hear the story of these children, you will see that I get to say now, when we walk through the struggle for mission, God can and God will redeem the stories and bring beauty to them. The story's not suddenly easy, folks. They still talk back. But you're going to listen to this and see the beauty in what God is up to. Take a look. My mom and dad moved to Florida to start a church. And shortly after that, I was born and I grew up in a Christian family. I was born in Ethiopia. I believed in God since I was little, but the priests taught us that. We had, we had to do certain stuff to make God love us and to earn our way to Him. When I grew up in um, 
in Ethiopia in the village I heard a lot of myths and did not know much about God. When I grew up I, I was taught you have to follow the law and you have to work uh, for God to love you. When I was little I grew up in a home that I was constantly hearing about God's love for me and I also um, went to the children's ministry and there I also heard about God's love. When I was nine, my uncle, he took us to Aksum to get a better education. Then he had a, an excuse and he, he dropped us off at the orphanage. That moment was very devastated because I thought God was God forgot in me. A little over three years ago, uh, uh, four new brothers and sisters came into our house. God used that to show me the gospel. Looking back now, I realized God had a big, bigger plan for my brothers and sisters. After two years and a half, my mom and dad from America came to the orphanage and they took us to their home. Having four new brothers and sisters was really fun at time because we could play a lot of games together and we could do a lot of fun things. But it was also really hard because I had to share almost everything I had now. I had to look to Jesus to rely on him um, so that I wouldn't be mean and be selfish to everybody. In my new home, the, the first year, I had tough timing because I, I couldn't speak the language. My mom and dad and sisters and brother loved me and showed, showed me how to love others. In my new family, I was curious about God and I asked questions and um, read my Bible. My mom and dad have ta taught me the gospel and how to love others. I was part of a music students and Caleb taught me about the gospel and made uh, a lot of sense to me. Because of my family and church, I understand God's love for me and His purpose. Over the years in Motec students, Kenny was one of the leaders and he taught, he taught me about the gospel. Because he made, he made the gospel clear to me, I decided to follow Jesus. After that message, we broke apart for small groups and Caleb and Kenny explained the gospel perfectly and I can understand it. God loves me very much and, and I don't have to work for it to earn his love. And that was, that was a big deal for me. Through all of this, my dad taught me um, a verse in Ephesians and God says that we are his workmanship and that he has prepared in advance for us to do good works for him. So I know that 
God has placed me in this story for a reason, and I'm excited to see what He's going to do in me and through me in the years to come. When I grow up, I, I want to go back and tell them about Jesus and how He changed my life and want them to change their life too. I am excited to be baptized today because I want to show my church and family that I love Jesus and I want to follow Him. I'm excited to be baptized um, because I follow Jesus. I want to be baptized because Jesus tells us and I want to obey Him. I'm really excited to be baptized today because I can show my church and my family that I know and love Jesus. I'll tell you, man, it's quite a thing, isn't it? To watch God redeem what we cannot redeem. To watch God redeem us and then redeem what we get to be part of. That is an extraordinary thing, and it's not going to be an easy road. It's not going to mean we get to live convenient and comfortable lives, but it does mean that if we choose to encounter in biblical community on a regular basis the gospel and choose in biblical community to live on mission together, that we can actually change the world. So when I get up on this stage, like I've been doing the last two weeks and will for the next three and ongoing beyond that, and say to you, I dare you to lay your life down and your resources down for the sake of the redemptive story of God so that we can continue to equip the saints through the work of the ministry, continue to impact the world, and continue to see it reproduced. I want you to know I do that unapologetically because that story that you've just seen is one of hundreds, perhaps thousands, that will emerge, that are waiting to emerge because we choose to participate in the story of God in a fearless manner without time, our lives, and our resources. And when we do, if we do, not only will it set our hearts free to live in a way we never imagined possible, but it will actually allow us to participate in actually changing the world. And I'm telling you, you want to be part of that. So, we are going to do baptisms now. And I want you to know as we do these baptisms, don't just think of them as a simple, quick thing we do at the end of a service. Take everything you've just heard and enjoy the expression publicly and to the church of people who have had authentic gospel encounters, are captivated by Jesus, and will tell you that they are ready to go and live on mission for the kingdom of God. That is awesome. Let me pray for you. God, thank you that you have revealed to us your story, the gospel, that we would know that you have come to this planet to redeem our stories, to rescue our souls, to redeem our future, and to restore our purpose, that you came, you lived, you died, you rose from the dead so that we might have life. And God, that you have invited us to be participants in that story, carrying life, light, and freedom into a dark world is an extraordinary privilege that we do not want to take lightly. So help us now to enjoy as others declare publicly that they have discovered this reality and are ready to run hard on mission for you as they encounter the gospel regularly. And may we be the kind of biblical community that stirs one another up and spurs one another on toward love and good deeds 
by equipping each other for the work of the gospel and living it out, reproducing the story. God, thank you for the opportunity we get to be part of something like this. We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your precious name. Amen.